Uh, yeah, so sorry you're stuck with me this morning. Um, <coughs> Brad said, just picture Brad having shaved or something like that. It's, uh, it's actually one of the better types of sermons to deliver is someone else's. Uh, that way, if there's any issues, take it up with Brad. Um, uh, we're looking at Revelation starting at chapter 1 today. Uh, why don't we pray and we'll get started. Please pray with me. Uh, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the term goat has been popular for a while now. Not the animal goat, but the acronym goat, which stands for greatest of all time, G-O-A-T, goat. It's a popular term in the sporting world. You might have heard commentators on the last Olympics referring to American gymnast Simone Biles as the GOAT. Anyone whose achievements seem to surpass that of all the others in their field can be a candidate for the title. One of my nephews uses the term a lot, mainly to describe his favourite footballers. Ben Hunt has been referred to as the GOAT all week since his amazing try in the State of Origin win on Wednesday night. It's not a new term, of course, uh, or it's not a new idea. People have always been boastful and proud and sought to express their greatness over all others. Muhammad Ali is probably a good example of this. Ali regularly made audacious claims to be the greatest. And maybe he was the greatest boxer the world has ever seen. Here's a few quotes from Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. He's right, he wasn't overflowing with humility. Ali even compared himself to Jesus at one point. I'm the most recognised and loved man that ever lived because there weren't no satellites when Jesus and Moses were around, so people far away in the villages didn't know about them. Just a little problematic statements like that. And what about this one to finish with? I'm not the greatest, I'm the double greatest. Humans love to boast. We love to boast about our greatness. And so often, and this is where sin leads us, we place ourselves even above God. Well, the book of Revelation corrects that terrible mistake. People may be the greatest in one field of endeavour or another, humanly speaking, but when it comes to the true nature of our world, the place where human history is finally headed in God's plan, there's only one goat, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the goat. G-O-A-T. Jesus is the greatest of all time. And he says as much in the very first chapter of the book. In a couple of verses, we'll think about that a bit more. <clears throat> Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. I can't imagine anyone greater. Can you? Jesus goes by many names and titles in Revelation. A key title for Jesus is the Lamb. In just a few chapters, we'll see that Jesus is the Lamb who was slain, the only one worthy to open the scroll and reveal to the world God's plan of salvation. Why? Because he's the Saviour. Sometimes the central message of Revelation can be lost and our focus can be taken off Jesus' victory over sin and death. 
because of the often confusing imagery and symbolic nature of the book. We can easily be caught up by and confused about the details and imagery and visions of Revelation. We can be so caught up in deciphering and decoding Revelation that we fail to see how directly and plainly relevant it is to our daily lives. It can be a very difficult book to understand, but it would also be a mistake to simply ignore it, as many Christians do. Where we should focus our attention is on the message of the Revelation, <clears throat> which, although the book may seem fantastical and confusing in parts, is actually the encouragement and the truth that we need to persevere in the very mundane or frustrating circumstances of our daily lives. We can avoid some of the perceived difficulties and out-there interpretations, which are many when it comes to this book, if we remember just a few simple principles. And surprise, surprise, the way we approach the book of Revelation is basically the same way we approach all of the Bible. Uh, read the first three verses with me and we'll get some info about this incredible book. And we'll see some ways that we approach Revelation like all of Scripture. Revelation 1 verses 1 to 3. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Well, first of all, let's look at the genre. We have to understand the genre of the book that we're reading, and the first two words of the book basically give us the title and the genre, The Revelation. The English title of the book translates the Greek title Apocalypsis. Revelation is part of that genre of New and Old Testament literature called apocalyptic literature. It sounds like it's all about judgment and disaster, but uh, actually it just simply means unveiling, laying bare the truth, and revealing what was hidden. It's probably an even more prevalent genre in extra-biblical Jewish writings, but there are several books and parts of, the books, parts of books in the Bible that fall into this category. Uh, essentially, it's a st highly stylized form of writing using imagery and metaphor to convey spiritual truths that relate to our earthly lives. Despite how it might seem, it's not written to obfuscate and confuse. The book of Revelation opens the curtain and reveals the truth. The truth about our world from God's perspective, from heaven's perspective. It may not always seem like the truth is being clearly revealed, and I doubt we'll all agree on our understanding on parts of this book, but God is revealing his truth to us here. <clears throat> Secondly, the book is also prophetic. Verse 3 tells us it's a prophecy. Now, don't read, prof don't read prophetic necessarily in the sense of future-telling. That's where our mind often goes when we hear the word prophecy, and there's certainly, certainly future events being described in the book, but it's also about events that have already happened. We'll see this most clearly when we see how Jesus' victory over Satan is described in the book. Some would argue from our modern perspective that it's almost entirely about events that have already happened. But essentially, Revelation is prophecy in the sense that it's a message given by God and passed on by the prophet, in this case John, to the people, that is, God's people, his servant, his servants, Christians. And that leads to the third point, Revelation is a letter. This message is passed on in the form of a letter. 
written down by a servant of God to the churches in John's day. It addresses real concerns of real flesh and blood Christians living at the time. And it sounds like a letter as John continues, verses 4 to 5. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. A greeting similar to many letters of the Old of the New Testament but describing God in pretty grandiose terms. We have the Trinity here, God the Father, the externally, eternally existent one from him who is and who was and who is to come. God the Spirit, John's phrase, the seven spirits, can also be translated the sevenfold spirit, describing the Spirit of God and his action in bringing about God's purposes in the world. We'll see that description several times as we go through the book. The phrase seven spirits denotes the completeness of the work of the Spirit, the number seven being a number that represents completeness. And this letter is from God the Son, Jesus Christ. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So a grandiose beginning to the letter. This is clearly a vision, a message from God that John has been given. And he writes to a particular audience. Look in verse 10. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. John is instructed to write the vision he's given on a scroll and send it to the seven churches listed. All the churches uh, were in towns that were known, well known at the time. Uh, do we have a map? There was a, a map of where the churches were located. There you go. Seven churches, these were probably churches that were known to John. Uh, so it's a letter, and the reason for writing the letter tells us about the context. In so much of our Bible study, context is king. What's the setting of the letter? What is the situation for those to whom the letter is being written? Why is the vision being given to John? Understanding this helps us to understand the meaning of what we read. And chapters 2 to 3 will give us a whole lot more detail of the context. But the initial intro from John gets us started. In verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom of Atmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now it's probably not possible to definitely know the identity of John, but most scholars agree it's the Apostle John. And John's situation as he receives this vision and writes it down is that he's imprisoned, it seems, on the island of Patmos, uh, imprisoned for preaching the gospel, for bearing witness to Jesus. Persecution for the faith is far from the church's only problem at the time, but it's prominent here at the start of the book. It's being experienced by John and by his readers, and it's likely to get worse, as we'll see, but is also tempered by the endurance, the encouragement that we find in Jesus. As with all scripture, Revelation is primarily about Jesus and maybe more obviously so than uh, many books of the Bible. The tone of the book is uplifting and encouraging from the start and the focus is on the victory and lordship of Jesus. As John writes this letter down, the people are encouraged to keep their eyes focused on Jesus. Verses 5 to 8. To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood 
and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We have this strong reminder of what Jesus has done for us, some plain gospel truths from the very start. Jesus has freed us from sin by his sacrificial death for us. A pointer to that, to a pointer to a name that Jesus will be given many times in Revelation, the Lamb. Our subtitle for this series is The Lamb Wins. You can boil down the message of Revelation to the very simple phrase, The Lamb Wins. Uh, you can boil it down even further to just two words, Jesus Wins. The great battle that we'll see described in Revelation is a battle that, from the start of the book, we are confident of who has the victory. Jesus does. The book of Revelation is all about Jesus and his victory over Satan, his victory over sin and death, and his rule in the kingdom of heaven, which will one day be fully and finally consummated when he returns in judgment. This victorious message gives us context to our lives now as Christians while we live under the powers that oppress. The powers and rulers that often seem to be control here and now. None of that matters in the long run, we'll see, because Jesus wins. The Lamb wins. Jesus is God's great champion. The victor in the most important battle of all time. Because Jesus is God. The same status and meaning given to God the Father in verse 8 is also applied to Jesus in similar words. As we come to the end of the chapter and in several places through the book, let's see how John leads up to them. You can't read this and simply think of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. The seemingly weak image of a lamb being sacrificed represents from the perspective of heaven a great warrior who has no trouble defeating his enemies. Uh, read from verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun. Shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him... I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now when you see someone who looks the way John describes... Eyes blazing with fire, a voice like rushing waters, holding seven stars in his hands, he 
his face like the sun and with a sword coming out of his mouth. That's terrifying. You could hardly help but be afraid. Jesus falls down like a dead man. I'd fall down like a dead man too. Yet for those who belong to Jesus, there is no need to be afraid. He is in very similar language to the description of God in verse 8, the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. When Jesus is the one who has died for you and now lives forever, the eternally existing Son, reigning at his Father's side, holding the keys of death and Hades, when you're one of Jesus' people, you surely have nothing to fear. Muhammad Ali described himself arrogantly as the greatest, and people do this all the time. We'll see the arrogance of the enemies of Jesus and his people but in the face of any opposition or persecution, we needn't fear, because Jesus is the greatest of all time, whatever scale you care to measure on. This is a description of one who has all the authority and power of God. John says he saw one like a son of man in his vision, reminding us of the language of another section in Daniel chapter 7. See Daniel 7 in verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. We'll see more of that victory and power of Jesus throughout Revelation and more of the worship of him as he takes his place on his heavenly throne. And John's writing should be so encouraging to his readers because of where John sees him standing. This victorious, all-powerful Jesus is with his churches. He's among the lampstands, John's vision says. What are the lampstands? Verses 19 and 20. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, what is now, what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The lampstands are the churches. And whatever they're facing, however they're persecuted from without or troubled from within, they can know that Jesus is with them. Something to remember as we go through Revelation, whenever you come across some confusing imagery or word pictures, just check to see whether the book also gives you the interpretation. The lampstands are the churches. We're plainly told, very helpfully, and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. It's something we'll explore next week as John writes his letters to the seven churches. But for now, be encouraged. I hope you'll be encouraged and emboldened and built up by revelation. It's a message of victory and triumph for a struggling church. And even though it was written to seven churches specifically named at a specific time, in a specific situation, we'll see that the message is also for Christians in all times, who so desperately need to be reminded at times 
that Jesus is the victor. The battle has already been won. And when the war ends, and we can name many ways the world wages war on the church right now, we'll see that the end result was always assured, not uncertain in any sense. As we look behind the scenes, we'll see that God has all things under control. Jesus has secured a victory for all time, which means his people at any time can have confidence in serving him in any circumstances because he has won the victory. Regardless of what our experience or circumstances tell us. And the war has been won, not by any effort on our part, but by the shed blood of the Lamb. The Lamb wins by his shed blood on his people's behalf. He has conquered sin and death and is coming back to take his people to be with him in heaven where we will live under his glorious rule forever. Jesus wins. Let's be encouraged. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this chance we have to read about you in Revelation. Father, we thank you that you are God and no one and nothing else is. We thank you that we can look to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain, our Saviour, knowing that he has conquered all his enemies, that whatever we face in this life, whatever we face in this world, that Jesus is with us, and Jesus has won. In his name, amen.